Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Forbidden archaeology, forgotten history, divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. Manipulating reality, can it be done? Do people think that they can perform a magical exercise and truly change their own life? Here on Main Street Universe, we discuss many topics, including art, music, divination, issues of nature, and of course, magic and metaphysical matters. Now, with no offense here, we hear many pagans talk about magic. All the time, in fact. But how many, and I ask you this, how many people truly engage in magic with a passion for excellence? Real world, trial and error, fine tuning, and repetitive practice like a monk practicing Kung Fu in a temple. Trial and error, fine-tuning, and repetitive practice, and with a healthy respect for the lessons that a little chaos can teach us. Welcome to Main Street Universe. Our guest this evening is Andreas Vitimus, author of the book, Hands on Chaos, Reality Manipulation Through the Oveki Current. Join us in our circle. Anyway, I just want to find her. 
six shows, including this one, flagship show, the one that started it all, Main Street Universe. Myself and associate producer, Denise R. White, and occasionally Brett Hillman comes back to join us. If any of you remember Brett from the Young Witches of Salem show on Pagans Tonight a while back. And that's Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And, of course, on Thursdays, we have Watau with our hostess, Miss Queen Mother Imaku. And she is of the comedic tradition, reminding people that Egypt is, in fact, in Africa. And there's all sorts of interesting stuff. It's a lot of information packed into an hour, including original language prayers and all sorts of other things. So 2 p.m. Thursdays, Queen Mother Imaku. Then on Fridays at 5 p.m., Kevin Baird with his show, Walking on the Sidewalk. Kevin is the creator of the Horizon Oracle. And Kevin can be found at www.templeofgaia.com. He's also an artist. I have some of his art hanging on my wall. And then we have later that Friday at midnight, Jesse Ann Nichols-George with her show, Activating Compassion in the Midnight Hour. Now, Jesse is the author of four books, Activating Compassion and its workbook, as well as You, Me, Life, Dreams, and its companion workbook. 12 Midnight, Jesse Ann Nichols George. And then at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Sundays, we have Mr. Darren Boucher. Darren is a reader of Arrow and Palmistry at Marie Laveau's House of Voodoo in the magical city of New Orleans. And Darren um, discusses all sorts of different topics and is working on a book of his own called Tale of the Serpent. It's a book of tarot spreads that he himself has created. 7 p.m. Eastern Time, Darren Bucare. Then Monday evenings, our newest host, Randy Goldberg, with the show Science of Light. Randy is a Vedic astrologer. He's been on CNN. He's been on NPR, been interviewed before, as well as the Washington Post. So at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, Science of Light is our newest show. Then at 10 p.m. Tuesday evening, we have Green Magic, Green Medicine, with our host, Miss Susan Weed. Susan Weed has been an herbalist for a long time, and it's a real blessing to have her here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. Tonight, our guest is Andrea Vitimus, and I see that associate producer Janice R. White is as well in the queue. We will get to them. Done. Welcome, Janice. Your microphone Hello? is on. Hello? Hello. Hello. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. Good. Right. How are you? I'm to go ahead, and as I say, instead of me talking about him, I'll have he talk about him. In this case, Mr. Andrea Vitimus, author of Hands on Chaos, Reality Manipulation Through the Oveki Current. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you for Welcome, having Andrea. me. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you. How are you guys doing tonight? Yeah. I am well. I'm tired. Tired? <laughs> tired. Tired. That's why I just slammed the coffee before interviews. Just a few in a row. <laughs> yes, I was working today. It's always too late for me to drink coffee. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Andrea, so your book is Hands-On Chaos, Reality uh, Manipulation. And I guess I'll start off. 
with the sort of question as if the people in the audience and as well as people uh, listening in the future in the magical time machine that is known as the archive listen, very simply, what would you describe or how would you describe chaos magic or how would you describe it for you, for example? Well, chaos magic is one of those um, terms that probably everyone hates, um, but it simply comes down to a very simple idea. There may be no ultimate truth. And um, it doesn't really make sense of why there has to be something like chaos magic until you study a system of magic for like five years or so. You get really good at it. And then you study, a, just get, you just say, okay, I need to go do something else. And you go study a different system of magic for five years. And it's a completely different system, but you're getting magical results in both systems. And if you know anything about various systems, if there was an absolute truth, oftentimes that shouldn't be possible that you could get equally good results in two very different systems. So chaos magic really is an attempt to look at the, at the universe with a certain attitude of exploration and indeterminacy and uh, back up whatever you're doing with actual proof with that you can actually show you're getting magical results, you're having life changes, things are getting better. Uh, so it isn't just a system in itself, but an attitude towards how magic works and how the universe works. And it was one of the reasons I wanted to mention in the brief intro I did the idea is about trial and error in part, is, is how I view chaos magic when I, from some, some of the reading I've done. And, and viewing magic like, it, like a really practical thing that you practice, almost like you, like you would physically practice something. Like I used Kung Fu as an example because I took Kung Fu as a kid. So I became very interested in that. And I think some people, and maybe you can comment on this, because they hear the word and it sounds like a negative word to them, chaos magic. Some people think it means, and I've heard this before, I've heard it heatedly and passionately, on, unfortunately, on some pagan forums, <laughs> which I tend not to really talk on much anymore, but uh, where people will say, okay, a chaos magician is someone that just wants to make anything happen, almost a, a discordian uh, approach, just make any kind of anarchy thing happen using the... Uh, you know, the powers of, of, of the universe, uh, and just anything's better than being bored almost. <laughs> I'm wondering well, if Well, there's certainly, there's probably certainly some people like that, but for the most part, that's not what it's about. Um, of course, if there's no ultimate truth, I can say people that to people, right? Uh, there may be no ultimate truth. I can tell people that's probably not helpful in your life if you're doing that. Um, but I wouldn't appeal to an authority to tell them not to do it. The universe uh, and uh, or people have a way of tendency of self-correcting. If they go and do that too much, they're usually the ones that their life isn't so good. So you, you know what I'm saying? Um, yes, we do. But it's not like there's a chaos... Well, there's not like a chaos pope where people were saying, don't do that. Because uh, ultimately, 
you have to look at it and say, well, yes, chaos magicians will tend to, in the culture, value freedom. But really, there's a lot of actions. While you're free to do it, doesn't mean you should, because uh, it's not helpful to anyone or even yourself. Mm -hmm. I agree completely. So this is more. Uh, when I was reading, to me, it sounds more of a, a physical, um, universal pull towards magic as opposed to just chanting some spells or doing some affirmations. This is more of a, a physical magic. Well, it can be affirmations, and it, it can be spells, uh, because it's more like a it's more like an idea. But the idea would be if you're going to do those spells, they should have a result. And although you're not going to get, no one is going to get results 100% of the time. Uh, I do pretty well. And other people I know who are uh, chaos magicians who've been doing this for a while get pretty good results. And when talking, um, you know, half the time they'll do magic or better, they will get results uh, of some sort. Now, honestly, because it's a art and a science, it doesn't always mean they're going to get the results they expected, but there's just something they can track back to doing something. And that could be a simple... Uh, that could be a simple hoodoo spell. That could be an affirmation, all of which are useful techniques that you can use. Uh, the one difference is, is to... The martial arts analogy is really good. Um, Bruce Lee would say something equivalent to you, you can practice 10,000 kicks one time or one kick 10,000 times and the second is the person he fears. So chaos magic will try to... If you're doing it based on trying to get the universe to give you verification, which means some sort of result, either a change in your personality, a change in your outlook, or actual tangible uh, change in your circumstances, it may take some refinement, some practice. Um, and, and even if you're doing a simple spell, that spell could in fact change your whole reality. If you practice and you get down the skills to make it work. And I think Bruce Lee okay. is a is a great analogy as well. Even though I, I first used Kung Fu, which it can be very traditional. Of course that varies from practitioner to practitioner as well. And Bruce Lee definitely with the Jeet Kune Do said things like have no way as your way, have no limitation as your limitation and definitely believed in pioneering and using what's, what worked. And I think that's what drew me so much to Chaos Magic. I believe my first introduction to it in a detailed way. Now, of course, there were you know other ways where I'd see something, watch a quick video or, or something like that, or somebody I'd hear an author's name, or some people would say even Crowley was the, the beginning or, or, or whatever, uh, all those things. But... but it, it was when it was funny enough because he's one of the lesser known occult uh, people was the artist uh, uh, Osman Spar, yeah, and yeah. and I just I, I happened to catch a documentary about him somewhere, and then and he was into those great surreal drawings and he kind of simplified. I think he came from some high magic stuff and then just simplified it into this sigil system and he started to gain some notoriety even as some paintings 
one or two in, in, in a British museum now. So I'm curious, in your case, uh, what your influences in the, in the chaos world uh, were, or who do you feel drawn to in, in that world as far as some of the, I guess, the elders of it? Yeah, I've, I've been doing it for a while, and uh, really the first couple authors that I read was Phil Hine and Peter Carroll, of course, Peter uh, Peter J. Carroll. Um, and to have full disclosure, I, I teach at Peter Carroll's University uh, in the U.K., uh, and um, Peter was really the founder of Chaos Magic. He founded the Illuminates of Thanateros and uh, Libra and Psychonaut was really kind of the first book that had this idea that, well, maybe belief is what either connects you to or empowers the magic, uh, along with altered states of consciousness. So it was really looking at the mechanics, and that was really the first introduction that I got to uh, Chaos Magic, yeah, after I'd been doing Qigong for a while, a little bit, uh, and okay. it, it just kind of it just clicked with my scientific mind. I was much more interested in being a scientist than I was a magician, and it just so happened that somewhere along the way I became a magician. <laughs> uh, no, I understand completely because my first experiences into the occult were were they were basically just that. They were experiences, I guess, meaning that, like so many people at a certain age, I had body experiences that were super powerful, at first very scary, and then you started start to like them after a while, but, and then as an adult you love them, it, but uh, but as a teenager they're scary, and and then of course seeing things, and so I I still had a scientific mind, but I was almost in the magical world, and I'm not trying to say this in any any sort of you know. Oh gosh, I'm magical. I'm bragging. I'm just saying, but in a way, by default, it, by certain experiences, and then in certain relations, like my grandmother was, was, you know, considered to have second sight and all these things. So, I, I just, like you said, I, I wanted to be scientific and and still found myself like the old alchemists of old, being both, being scientific and magical. So that's part of the appeal of chaos magic to me as well. And that's one of the things. I mean, everyone hates the word chaos, I think. <laughs> I think they hate the word chaos more than anything. Uh, but there's outside. There's three definitions of chaos, really, two of which are much closer to the heart of what I think Peter Carroll was trying to get to with chaos magic. Obviously, the first one is, you know, discord, evil, all that. Um, but the second one has to do with the original Greek conception of the universe, which is the basis of a lot of Western society, is that before there was anything, there was chaos, the formless chaos right. of everything. And right. that particular notion is one, and the third notion of chaos um, is one that Peter Carroll both embraces at different times. He's not bound by the demon consistency. Uh, but the second one has to do with chaos as a mathematical principle. And that principle relates to the second principle, actually. It says that there's no way that you can ever uh, account for all starting conditions in a system, which means that the syst any system that you are in, and this is a little technical, but it means that any system you are in 
is unpredictable in parts. And if it's unpredictable, something like a ritual can have a butterfly effect where you cannot predict the outcome, which is why we do magic, actually, because such little conditions, little changes can make huge changes in, in a greater system. So those two are really what Peter Carroll was getting at with chaos magic. And that's why he named it chaos. If he was writing, just starting out now, he would probably call it quantum, you know, entanglement or quantum indeterminacy or, or something. Um, <laughs> As in quantum magic? Yeah, he might call it quantum indeterminate magic or something like that. Uh, but he loves math and he loves physics, and so it became chaos magic. Okay. So you would say that um, so everything started with chaos. So the Big Bang Theory would be an act of chaos magic. From well, a big long, 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 long time ago. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, it was probably there before Peter Carroll termed, uh, uh, coined the term. But if we think about it, that whole Greek notion of chaos and then the Big Bang, you know, almost as if, you know, God separated the light from the darkness and boom, there it is, the universe is there. Well, what is the stuff that the universe was made out of? You know, the ancient Greeks would say chaos because it's formless. It can be anything. And there's there's a highly contested uh, pre-biblical verse that mentions the uh, a formless uh, beginning as well. And also, people sometimes may refer to that, even if they're more, I guess, more of a traditionalist or more of a system, would say things like, you know, even they would have to admit there is a belief, whether it's pagan or otherwise, that in the beginning there was sort of this nothing, this formlessness. This Even in the pagan community, they call it primordial deity or even primordial original goddess before there was a name for any of the goddesses. Yeah. And the, the thing is, we can call it, yeah, I mean, well, we could call it chaos. We could call it the Tao. We could call it whatever we want. Um, but then we build our systems on top of it, our systems of magic. And that understanding is why there may not there may be no ultimate truth because if we go back far enough and go with the formlessness uh which is also a very buddhist concept and peter carroll's the first to admit he was in chaos magic very influenced by buddhism and and the ideas of the east to, to combine with western occultism mm -hmm. yep and Jenny's I just wanted to yes. open the window for any questions you have for Andreas. Well, I was sneaking questions in as you both were talking, actually. Okay. Um, Since you're on the phone, I was just making sure that you were getting the window. That I was went. reading the bio, and I know that both you and I are Reiki masters. Yep. And I was wondering, um, do you use your... Chaos magic in the healing of a, a, a patient or a client in Reiki. Uh, do you combine the two, or do you leave it separate? Oh, absolutely. Because uh, 
you know, chaos magic is uh, is just an attitude towards magic. So it's an attitude where I can explore different possibilities. And in fact, uh, there was this little group in uh, yeah when Yahoo was still around. I know Yahoo, the now dinosaur okay. internet. Um, <laughs> the Yahoo group. But, Oh, yeah, I Yahoo still use Yahoo. Yahoo. I think a lot of people still use Yahoo, actually. But but there was this little group called uh, Chaos Reiki, and Christopher Penzak. I've heard of that? Right, Christopher Penzak. Yeah. Went yeah. Went onto this group of which I was one of the moderators, but I didn't know Christopher at that point. He didn't. He didn't make himself known, and he had all these Reiki masters who were. In some cases, directly working with Yusui as a spirit guide. In some cases, they were channeling new Reiki symbols, and they were sharing them to other Reiki masters who were also uh, had the, accepted that there may not be an ultimate truth and there could be more Reiki symbols. And that was actually years before this plethora of Reiki systems came out where it seemed like there was now a million different Reiki systems. Because um, there are. Because there are, yeah. Uh, yeah. But this was bef- but, but this was before that. It was it was very, uh, very very early, and we would share symbols with each other that we had channeled, and apply the principles of testing the symbols, and testing the symbols across people, see if they had validity in our healing, um, and applying various rigorous methods of testing, and going back and forth with the symbols. Now, it was assumed, you know, that everyone would be honest and, uh, you know, if someone, we, we, if anyone got caught uh, kind of doing something that wasn't within the spirit of Reiki, they got booted off the group. Uh, and and that, that group actually led to Christopher Penzik writing a book on Reiki because he the saw... The magic of Reiki. The magic of Reiki, because he saw what these people were... How... We were actually working with Reiki from this attitude of non-dogmatic, practical magic, and and he went with it. So that was before I decided to be a writer. Otherwise, maybe I would have helped him on it. But we didn't know he was even writing a book, so it was pretty cool. It's actually a very good Reiki book. I have it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and um, Christopher has already, or or Chris has already been on Main Street, uh, actually, uh, last year, and hope to have him again. Yes, he was a guest last year. And um, what what we're going to do now is take a very brief break. We're almost at the half-hour mark, folks. Can you believe it? It was going by so quick. This will be a very short break. And this song, speaking of chaos, is a little softer. This one's actually one of mine. And it will be on my new album. Uh, We'll be back in just a minute or so. I'm not even going to play the whole thing. And this song is called The Lake. We'll be back in a minute. My vision was taken away 
once conscious now He's unaware of his pain When he returns He will be happy His thoughts will be with him again And sometimes He fears he'll sing And the song he hears makes him think of you Uh, one of the few shows that actually asked me about that. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so, um, when I first started writing the book, uh, I realized that uh, I had a, a pretty rough time when I first started on magic. And so, I, I got past all that. And I said, you know, I'm going to write a book. And um, I'm going to write a book for all the stuff that I wish I would have had five years ago or six years ago. You know, probably more than that. And so I started writing. And I got to about 150 pages. And uh, I put it down. I said, great, we're done with the book. And I put it down, walked away, you know. was going to start started looking at it and um, realized I hated what I had written. And uh, I hated it because I, I used too much jargon. And it was too – you had to have too much occult – history knowledge to understand where I was going with it. So I sat down and started writing from scratch uh, and got about 150 pages into the book and got stuck. And so I um, did some extensive magical work. I uh, did a very, very deep transfer, multiple hours, um, and went on a shamanic journey to summon the spirit of the completed book. The name of that spirit is Oveki. Ah. That was one of my questions. Yep. Then I asked the spirit to help me finish the book since I was struggling, just to get me through the couple of things. Interesting. Now, I see... We do, and it's, that's actually a great explanation. Um, the reason I paused for a second is because I saw we had a caller, and I uh, see they wanted to. But I think we'll we'll go ahead and take the caller here, and hopefully it's not too crazy. But then again, it's chaos tonight. <laughs> okay. You're on the air. Hello and welcome. Okay, they're gone. All right. <laughs> anyway, Andreas, because um, I did have people ask me when I when I posted it, and somebody said, "Is that related to like <laughs> an African tradition?" They, they were wondering if you were <laughs> quoting a deity from. They weren't sure what its uh, uh, root or foundation was. So I think that was very interesting. Mm. That my my eyes were drawn right to that when you said the Oveki current. I'm like, I've not heard of that. <laughs> so the yeah, it jerk. was uh, it was the spirit of the finished book, <laughs> helping me to actually finish the book. Since, uh, and it is actually a real spirit. So, it it just all books have a spirit in a way. So, yeah. um, then you can good. just decide whether or not you want to talk to it or not. Absolutely. And want to get to some things that I think that you think are very important that are in the early stages of the book. And this is something I've always thought of whenever I was a beginner at magic, but I had had some experiences with meditations and things like that, but wasn't really that, you know, schooled into, you know, quote unquote, uh, witchcraft and all that. And discussing the importance 
of a trance or a trance-like state. I wonder if you could go into that a little bit, discussing the importance of a trance, being in that right state. I know some people will disagree, uh, but I've almost found it that any practical and results-generating magic will include some sort of altered state of of consciousness. Um, that looks different from person to person. It might be different from ritual to ritual on what that looks like, but it's there. Um, even successful tarot readers, if you really study them, I mean with a very close and observant eye, you can watch their facial structures uh, change, and you can watch them going into what a scientist would call trance. Now, back in my Chicago days, you know, doing hoodoo and, and stuff like that, people might say they're going in the spirit or something else. But from a scientific point of view, they're clearly in an altered state of consciousness. Um, it's not just happening in everyday consciousness that we understand, uh, you know, like take the dog out, do this, do this. You know, it's clearly, there, there's clearly a separation. There's a change and to do that. If you study the mechanics of how to go into various trance states, uh, you're a good portion of way there to getting your magic to actually work. And that's also one of the things that uh, Eastern uh, magical systems and metaphysical systems teach you to do a lot of, is you're sitting, meditating, sitting still, you know, it's it's undervalued in, in Western pagan thought sometimes, yeah. uh, but but certainly in Western magic it's not. Uh, it's it's these basic concentration skills, focus, getting into altered state of consciousness really are your building blocks for any practical magic or any real self change. That that's also true. Um, not to cut you off or anything, uh, when you're going through. Let's, you're a Reiki one, one two. Um, I had a, I had art or advanced Reiki training, and then my mastership. That my particular Reiki master was doing a lot of energy balls, was doing a lot of um, visualizing walking out of your body and 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 sitting across from yourself and and what you would tell yourself to do after you come out of this trance. Um, a lot of spirit guide work as well, which um, when you're going through, let's say, Wicca 101, they're not really telling you any of these things. They're just you know, going through different motions and giving you what I consider the, the cheap way out. So you can have this class and, and you know, call yourself a musician where when you're doing Reiki, especially, especially uh, Dr. Ashui and Sakim, Sakim, where it's more of a mental thing before the physical thing. Hello? Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. I'm like, I didn't hear anybody, so. No, no. Um, well, I, sometimes I turn my mic off when people are speaking, but that was one of my points, and it was why I asked Andreas if it was in the early part of his book and in some of his exercises, because when I first went from Eastern to Western and studied Western magic, a lot of people, and, and of nothing guilty of them, they were just sharing knowledge and being nice and saying things very quickly and saying, oh, and then you do this and think about that. And there was like what, what 
what about getting into that place first? Uh, I would see sometimes lacking in the instruction, which, of course, will bring me to my next question, Andreas, which is, if you can't answer this, you might have more than one, and that's okay, what's your favorite form of getting into trance? You know, there's dancing, there's meditation, there's all sorts of things. What is your, you have a personal favorite? Well, it depends. It depends on who's around and what. Now, I, I like mantra work a lot, but i got to say, you know, I went to Haiti, I got initiated in voodoo, I really like dancing, you know, and... Uh, I love dancing. It's, uh, it's, 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 you know, possession work is a lot of fun if you have, if you have a safe group of people around to do it. Um, so, but I love the mantra work, you know, for my own practice, I do a lot of it. Um, it just, it just, it, it's something that's pretty easy. Um, I love journey work too, which is actually sitting very, very still, um, almost motionless for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And here's, now, we're getting into uh, something that I'm very interested in here. Um, a lot of people, when they think about chaos magic, they think about sigil magic. Now, my first question on sigil magic is, do you prefer pre-made, pre-ordained, if you will, <laughs> sigils, or do you prefer the method of making your own, or do you like both? Well, I definitely lean towards making my own seals and my own sigils. Um, and then there's a lot of good reasons for that uh, from where I, where I came from. Now, obviously, you know, if there's a well-tested seal, you know, in one way, the, even the Reiki symbols are a sigil that ties to something else. So that's that's one thing. But a lot of times, a lot of modern books, you have no idea where the sigils came from that they're using. There's no historical reference for the seals. Uh, and if you know a fair amount about magic, you've been doing it for a little while, you realize that you can't hide information patterns behind a seal that are not necessarily helpful. So uh, I will tend to make my own sigils um, unless I'm I'm dealing with a well-established seal for an NTCU process. And that's a good answer. I mean, some people will say, well, if you use an older sigil then you're tapping into a, a magical stream that's been proven and, and it's it's a it's a it's a reasonable point, you know. I I personally prefer the personal model because it's yours. Um one interesting argument about not using the older ones is you already know potentially what they're for and part of the whole sigil activation is forgetting them, right? Which was always one of the things I was confused about. Well in in classical yeah yeah in classical sigil magic classical when we're well when we're talking about since the early 80s right um yeah you would try to forget the the sigil uh because in in that form of sigil magic you know you're basically putting it into your subconscious mind which then either carries it out or broadcasts it out and the universe changes but 
Another example of using sigils is bind runes. And bind runes, you wouldn't for necessarily forget it. Uh, likewise, you can make sigils that you wouldn't necessarily forget. You might inscribe them onto a piece of wood, which right. is the basis of medieval talismans, and you would just carry it around with you, you know, or a piece of metal. Um, so this can be used in a lot of different ways. Um, and in some cases, the argument that you're tapping into an older stream, that applies if it's a known sigil and it's consistent across books. A lot of books now, those sigils that are coming out are not consistent or old, so that argument doesn't necessarily apply. Uh, that's another thing, doing the homework, right? <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Always. Well, that, uh, um, I want to say personally that I have used a sigil for, well, in this case, it was just as a symbol for my band. I created one for the band. For people that don't know what a sigil is, it's a, it's a, it's a sentence that you break down into a symbol. I won't go over it, an audio that doesn't really work. But it comes to my next question in sigil magic. And some people talk about uh, Spar and others as the founders of, of this but of course, you know who knows how these things go back. I don't. I don't pretend to have all the answers. But here's an interesting perspective I thought about, and I'm wondering what your opinion on this is. Is a friend of mine and I were having a conversation about audio sigils, where you do the same thing, break it down in the same way, but then pronounce it in that funny way, like go back and see what that looks like, and then do it as a mantra. Yeah, I actually cover that method in, in Hands-On Chaos Magic, exactly. Okay. To make mantras, and uh, with the same sort of breaking down and intention down into uh, various mantras or songs even. Nonsensical songs, of course. Uh, yeah, but, they won't make yeah. much sense. <laughs> so I think that's great that you have gone through that, because I'm, I'm a big fan of the mantra thing. Um something about just resonating a note. I like doing it in a room full of a whole bunch of other people doing it. Even if it's just a simple ohm, is just such a great experience. So now to my next question, and this is one, because I notice on some of your website promotions, there's mentions, so I, I had to ask, because I have a pe couple people that asked me, uh, of the word demon, especially on your radio one. I think there's a girl putting out a thing about a 30-day summoning safety thing. Yes, I have a question about that, too. Yeah, Mine is... Well, that, that's, yeah, that's actually... Um, that's a contest uh, that I run, and it's uh, 30 Days of Magic Work. It's it's magical30.com. So it's 30 Days of Magical Work uh, consistent unbroken magical work, daily magical work. Okay. Um, and Yeah, and actually the person who is uh, uh, doing some of the, well, she's not just doing uh, daemon work, uh, but she's a noted author on daemonology, actually. Uh, so she is doing uh, demonic summonings. Um, and, on on her on the 
for every for daily work. Mm-hmm. Now, my question is, and this is a debate much within even we've talked about there are people that are beginners of magic. We talked about people that are devout pagans, but do they even do magic often? And there's nothing wrong with that. It's whatever you want out of these things, right? Chaos magic is about practical, like Bruce Lee, take what works, disregard the what doesn't work, over and over, practice, repetition, fine-tuning, all these things. So in this debate is do you think that, and again, I mean, I mean no uh, disrespect to any position involved here, uh, do you think that the, the summoning forms of magic, like in high magic or in demon summoning, do you think that these things are gnosis or forces of nature or actual spirits with names? Yes. A little of all. <laughs> okay. I think you say yes to both. I think I would say yes to all of the above. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, clearly... Now, now, demons is an interesting topic, and it's one that's uh, very, very misunderstood. But these are things that are part of nature. And um, some people can deal with angelic forces great, and that's what they resonate with. And some people, if they work with more angelic forces, seem... And I'm not talking about bad people. That's just a myth. Uh, It just doesn't resonate with them. So... I really prefer the term instead of evil to say, you know, more aggressive spirits or, and some people just resonate with them, even though they're good people. Uh, okay. It's just, it's just the spirits that they resonate more with. And some people would find the working with lighter forces very, very um, difficult, even though they're, um, they're honorable people. It, it just, it, everyone has a different spiritual makeup and uh, different things which they they can work with easily and other things that will give them problems if they try to work with them. That's not to say they shouldn't work with those things. It's just they have to be aware that it will be challenging uh, in various ways. So, you know, and as you study the actual myths of uh, demons, particularly a good number of them were originally pagan deities, especially from Canite. Um, or various places around Palestine and Canaan, where where Canaan would be. Absolutely. So I have a question. Go ahead, Janice. Okay. Um, Last week we had Orion Foxwood um, on our show, and I've known Orion for a very long time. We debate on how long it is, but we both know it's a very long time. And he does uh, a lot of conjure. Um, he does a lot of craft, too, but he does a very big amount of conjure. Um, in fact, he pretty much makes his living off of it. And there was part of, uh, I think it started at 150, 151, 152, uh, uh, about the references uh, about hoodoo, and saying that that um, you didn't quite believe that just doing magic with plants was enough, that you needed to have some kind of passion behind that. Um, so can you elaborate more on that? Because uh, I don't know what the... <laughs> the people that were listening last week 
or hoodoo slash conjure people, but I'm sure that we do have some. Yeah, I do a fair amount of conjure, and I'm I'm known for it. And and, and in some cases, well, yeah, I mean, in a way, even if you mix the plants, if you don't have a relationship with the plants and you can't communicate with the ashe of the plants, you're just putting herbs down. (laughs) I mean, there's another step. There's a missing hidden step there. Uh, And that missing step... uh, that that missing step is partially is the trance states and stuff like that. And people have been doing it a while, long time. And and I, when I was in Chicago, I, were, I was hanging out in the African community, and they accepted me, even though I looked white. They knew I was Hispanic, so they're, they were like, yeah, hey, you're okay. And um, people have been doing it a while. Uh, they switch into that mode fast, but it's still there. Right. They're they're connecting to the spirit or connecting to something and doing it. So if you're going to do the hoodoo and you just throw the herbs on the candle, that's not enough. There's this... Correct. Yeah, there there's a connection. Now, this, this, is, get, this gets into which system you're working with, and I'm revealing a lot about my own practice with hoodoo. There's a connection with the herbs and the spirits of those herbs, and you're... Getting the, you're inviting them to participate and lend their ashe to the work, which then creates changes in the world. Now, that's the easiest way I can, that's the 30-second answer. That invitation has to be done with your conscious mind shut down, or at least you can't be questioning whether or not the magic is real. Because once you start right. asking, is this really happening? Am I really doing this? Is it going to work? It's done. It's not going to work. Uh, you have to be in that single-pointed mindset that you know it's going to work. You can, you may be tricking yourself into thinking it's going to work, but it doesn't matter because if you don't do that, you're not going to get connected to the plants. You're not going to get connected to the resonances to make it work. Uh, that's probably one of the things that in lots of books or recipes, it's just not covered, and people don't understand that there's a lot that goes into that before you can easily connect to the herbs. Uh, in in older times with Hoodoo particularly, early, people would say you're either born with it or you're not. I don't know if that's exactly true based on my research, but it's always going to be a point that if you don't have a natural ability to do it, you have to spend a lot of time developing that ability to connect and get the resonances and get the ashe flowing. And that, that's done through that trance again, you know, and through practice. And also, some people will be able to work with different herbs. That's something that uh, isn't really covered in hoodoo much, but it's absolutely true. Some herbs, you just, it might be a similar herb, but some people will resonate with one herb versus another. They can get it to work, and they won't be able to get a similar herb of a different family to do the magic. And that's, that's a big part of, even if you have the hoodoo book, even if you have 100 hoodoo books, you're still going to have to go and experiment and see what works. You know, when I make mojo bags, yeah, when I make mojo bags, I have a certain formula. I know all the plant spirits. I, I have certain ways to do it. I know how it works, and the mojo bags really work. But if I just tried to throw the mojo bag together 
with herbs that I didn't have any relationship and I didn't meditate with herbs, mm. it probably wouldn't. Right. Which brings us back to yeah. a lot of our point we've been talking about all evening was, A, even in my intro I mentioned, you know, practice, hard work, um, repetition, almost like you're doing kung fu like a monk, you know, was the example we used earlier, and then we got into talking about Bruce Lee, who was an adaptive monk, very much chaos. Yeah, very much so. And he was someone that was an independent renegade monk who adapted things. Very much a chaos philosopher would definitely, I think, feel in touch with, with Bruce Lee or feel attuned to him some in some way. It also takes me to the other point of the other part of the work, being the trance, being the connection. We discussed that as well. And then we went into some, just to recap for those just tuning in, because we're going to keep going for a little bit, uh, uh, gnosis and also demons and what some people think demons are, dark spirits, whatever you want to call it. It's about are they dark or evil or bad, or is it about what are you working with and why are you working with it and what feels comfortable to you. So, for example, I'll give you a good example, Andrea. Um, there's an old story, and my brother's wife actually used it in a sermon She's a Unitarian minister, and I'll do a very brief version of it. And this story was there's this young woman that was taking care of her grandmother. This comes from uh, China, I believe. And her grandmother was very decrepit and, you know, crippled, and her body didn't move right, and she was always in aches and pains, and her muscles were twisted and tight, tight, tight. And she's like, let me give you a massage. And she was always trying to be kind to her. And the grandmother was like, no, you can't give me a massage. And uh, and she kept doing it over and over and over again. She's like, let me help you, you know, loosen up. To, to shorten the story, I'm not going to tell the whole story. To shorten the story, the granddaughter then went out into the world and experienced hardship and all kinds of terrible, awful things and then came back. And then the grandmother was like, now you can give me a massage. Because before she was too soft, like like the wisdom wasn't there to be able to, yeah. to help, uh, to heal because there wasn't the the balance of the extra, you know, hardness there to understand the hardness that someone else goes through. So that's the story I thought of when you were talking about how some people might not understand why some people would summon certain spirits that seem darker or more evil, but they may be the spirits, in my opinion, that are the lessons for you. help them the most. Yeah, at this time. That's very true. I mean, a lot of the ideas about things come from dogmatic perspectives. If you're taking it from a more experimental thing, you know, I'll give a story. You know, this was an absolute result, you know, and people know I do grimoire work. So it's not a secret that I will occasionally do grimoire work. Um, And one person... You know, I was applying for my master's degree in business association. I got everything done. But in every single way, they, uh, the, the person who was basically a secretary was losing files and not presenting me in the best light, even though, and it, it wasn't that they were angry with me at all. It just the system didn't work and they had, you know, a million different people to deal with, you know, but a couple people 
who actually read my essays for Masters of Business were like, this guy is awesome. Let's get him in. Let's get him in right now. We'll do whatever it takes, even though he doesn't have the grades, he doesn't have this. We'll, we'll work with him so he has it. Now, it turns out, if this person was following up, I did have the grades. They only had one half of my transcripts, or one-third, but they didn't bother to follow up. So I summoned a very aggressive spirit to get them to follow up, right? Mm. Because I needed them to follow up, to do what was, would normally be considered their job, you know, a grimoire spirit to do that. I didn't intend the person harm. All I wanted to do was follow up so I could get the goal that I wanted achieved, achieved. I meant the person no harm or ill. I just needed them to do stuff. Right. And, of course, there are different ways, and people would say, well, some people shouldn't, and I'm just saying here now, I'm not judgment call here. <laughs> I'm just saying, some people say, well, you shouldn't cast a spell that's, you know, does this or that or A or B or Z, but remember, some of those things are in different magical systems, as you said, so I don't want to get into too much of that debate. Well, and and but, it is. those. That is, now, granted, we, we started off the show by saying, you know, if you do dumb stuff repetitively, it's probably going to catch up with you no matter right. what. Um, that's not to say believe in karma or anything, but karma in the West is not correct either. It's not what the Easterns intended uh, at all. And um, that's a particular thing that uh, gets him, it comes from Gardner and flows through Wicca in Western paganism, but it clearly wasn't something that our pagan ancestors believed. Uh, they were about survival. Uh, yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I, I can tell you certain Slavic myths and, and Ukrainian myths and uh, German myths, and I, I know some of the uh, African myths, you know, and the... Uh, so do I. It, it's oftentimes about survival. Now, that isn't to say that you should do these things with uh, no thought. That's not what I'm saying. But more often than not, uh, there is a win-win situation that you can pursue. But ultimately, even if you're doing stuff like casting a spell to do magic, to, to get a job, let's say, some people would say you should never do that because you're manipulating the situation. But the truth is if you get dressed up in a suit, you're manipulating the situation. And we're always in a field of manipulation, and that's not a bad thing. We're persuading. We're, we're trying to make our way through lives. And there's a lot of win-win situations. Uh, those arguments for me personally don't hold a lot of weight uh, because the best life you can you want to pursue the your best goals in life and and you know i'll do magic and do the physical things in life uh to make sure that i'm moving forward i think it's about i think it's more about the results you get based on your own intention on the situation i'll i'll explain that in a second or right now what i mean by that is i one time intended something and it worked, but the problem was it worked way too well, and I pretty much paid for it for like two years, not in a horrible, horrible way, but in a way that I certainly didn't want. So 
the issue is learning, or the lesson issue is a terrible word to use for that. The, the lesson is learning how to properly um, send, how to properly engage in, in these things. Now, I wasn't saying that I did it in the techniques you were talking about. It was a different thing. But it was highly effective, almost too much. And I was absorbed by it. And I learned a lesson from it. Right? And so that's the thing. And I want to get to another question because this is something that comes up. It's a magical debate that happens uh, amongst many different paths. Um, and this is that since I mentioned it, it, it's a follow-up to my question before, where I said before, okay, are spirits, demons, etc., etc., even gods or goddesses, are they actual beings? Are they gnosis or uh, spirits with name? Or taking it back to another point, since they may be all of the above, as you said, they were all of the above, right? Um what about the human being? Does Do you think the human being goes on in some way uh, in a form of reincarnation, whatever form that is? Some people don't. You know, there's some people that even in the magical community believe that demons are real, angels are real, and they all have names, but that humans don't continue. And I'm just curious, um, as a curiosity, what your opinion on this is. Do humans continue? Well, I, res I reserve the right to change my opinion tomorrow. Uh, 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 but you know there's got to be a reason yeah, in, ca in case I have other evidence but there's I have a fair amount of evidence at least with astral projection and things that you know humans might have some at, have both at, seem to have both the attributes of a, a physical being and and maybe something else uh, that puts us at least in between worlds. Um, right. I don't think we're the only species on on the planet, and this is purely conjecture. And I reserve the right to change it, but I don't think we're the only species that that's true of on on Earth either. Uh, so there's other very intelligent species that also seem to be able to throttle things, but they probably have a very different conception of um, things than we do. I'm just playing. I'm kidding. <laughs> wait, wait, what was that? <laughs> I said, like, women, maybe, but I was joking. Oh, man, I'm not going there. That's all you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing, Ginny. But, uh, okay. The, um, yeah, I don't buy into the guy men are from ours, women are from Venus, by the way. <laughs> But the reincarnation argument, some people debate, and it is an interesting uh, debate because some people go, okay, well, you're just afraid of death, but some people go, well, you've had spiritual experiences, and then there are even magical people, whether, like, a good example might be um, Satanists. Uh, the the Levaeans don't believe in a life after death, but they do believe in magic, and they do believe in a certain that's, degree that's, of, of that's, being. Uh... Having lots of friends who are Levain Satanists, they don't really believe in magic either, outside of its ability to psychologically change themselves. So it's definitely consistent. It's a material universe. 
and uh, but they understand that ritual has psychological power to to alter their own behavior and patterns. Mm-hmm. Right. So I may have misinterpreted it a little bit, but I do remember a story. You know, the old story with. Uh, the actress and somebody touched the altar and it was, they said it was cursed and all this kind of stuff, which may have had a psychological effect. So you might be making the point there. But one thing I think is interesting also about the reincarnation argument is it could just be an energy argument. I mean, some people say, Oh, well, well, you know, go into something like we had, when we had um, Orion Foxwood on last week, he was saying, the old conjure people would say, oh, we just go back to the, you know, the great spirit, the every spirit, I think was the actual term that was used. So you don't know if it's going to be the transmigration model of Pythagoras, but it could be something that maybe comes back to being a human. Some people think, like Pythagoras thought, I think, almost like the human being's a battery or, or the vessel, and maybe you, if there is a reincarnation, then you return to that familiar vessel, if that makes sense. Yeah, that that is one one view of, like, basically reincarnation. And if you think about it, um, whether or not, the, the question that we could ask is, how does that help you, you know, how does that idea help you to become what you believe you should become in this life or how does it hinder you because a lot of people for the reincarnation idea does hinder them they don't act uh because they just say oh i can i can do get it in a reincarnated life um so that then the question becomes well how does that particular belief either help or hinder you becoming the best you that you can be and that's a hard question. Very chaos magic way of looking at it, too, because it's about how is it useful, which is, again, one of the things I love about chaos magic. And, again, for everybody out there, Hands on Chaos, our guest is Andreas Vitimus, and the book is Hands on Chaos, Reality Manipulation Through the Oveiki Current, which the Oveiki Current was, Oveiki was a spirit that, Andreas found in a shamanic uh, journey the journey of the book and the place to buy the book is here attached to the show page as well as visit his website and Barnes & Noble, Amazon and other places and it's a very, very interesting book now Andrea, we're going to have a few minutes left here and I wanted to get into a few other things. We talked about a lot of things. I mean, we talked about uh, you know basic you know stuff, basic what is chaos magic, trance. We've talked about different trance message. We talked about sigils. We talked about uh, you know demons and gnosis and all kinds of things. We talked about Reiki, Reiki, <laughs> reincarnation, and now I want to get into a little bit of promoting some of your things here, and you um, are founder or part of a group called the Quantum uh, Life Institute. I wonder if you could explain that a little bit. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the Quantum Life Science Institute is um, it's pretty much a mystery school. Um, and we have about 20 people uh, where we uh, 
practice the philosophies and techniques of magic and um trying to trying to uh get together a less a more rote uh training mechanism because my training is pretty hard I, I adapt it to the people who come near me um so we're we're trying to get a training program and start people off uh done with that and uh a lot of times people will come to my house and uh you know, we will do different forms of magic. Oftentimes, it's, a lot of times we're doing voodoo, but not not all the time. And um, the the point is to develop within us and share uh, with the general populace different means to learn about magic and different ways to study magical operations, almost like best practice uh, of what everyone has gotten down. So um, that's the easiest way to say it. Uh, so we're, we're hoping to get another training program out soon, actually. So I, I'm re- I decided I have this tendency of being a perfectionist. We had a training program, and then I wanted to rewrite it. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, that sounds like most magicians, they have to redo something they have already done to perfect it. Yep. I'm trying to kill that demon of perfectionism, but it's a slow I internal. It's a slow kill. Yeah. Perfection yeah. will kill you. <laughs> There's no such thing as perfect. There's just things that progress is how I view things. But at the same time, it's good to want the goal, I guess. It's a, it's a tricky balance when you're a passionate person that's goal-oriented. It, it's a funny thing, you know. Now, Andreas, I'm going to have... One or two last questions here. Uh, One of them is very simple, and that is when you were, you know, I guess gathering around, what made you think, okay, now I have to write this book? What was the actual inspiration for, for the writing of the book? I mean, you had inspiration for studying magic, all of that, but what made you think, okay, I really just feel like I got this thing. What made you feel that? You know, when I reflected on my own experience, um, there really wasn't books that I felt kind of covered the basics down through what I would consider an intermediate level of magic. and what was covered as the basics I thought was just not the right basics that people need if you're doing practical magic. Uh, they were, you know, the, the rituals and words are covered in detail uh, in many books uh, that deal with one, a certain system, but it doesn't tell you what you're actually doing with those words or symbols or anything. And uh, I really wrote the book out of the idea that you know, like I said, when I first started magic, I had what was equivalent to a shamanic awakening, and it was really rough. And I tried to buy my way out of that with various books. And I really wrote the book that I thought if I had this book, I could have made it a lot less painful, and I wouldn't have had to uh, go through quite as many wrong directions as I did to get it right. Uh, you know, there's still a learning process, but that's really was the impetus of writing that book was to 
essentially cover the mechanics in a way that anyone could understand it. And if you do the exercises in the book, you can go on to other books on magic and you'll relatively get them to work with really good proficiency because you'll know what you're doing with the sigils, uh, you know, the seals, you know what you're doing with the holy divine names. You have an idea what's actually going on with that as opposed to here's what you do, which they never answered the question of why. Uh, And I tried to answer the question of why through actual doing things. And once you do them, you'll you'll get the that answer. But uh, that that really was what was the inspiration was to try to give people a book so they could get whatever system of magic they want to work on to work. Uh, because I, I this is purely personal. I think the spirits want to connect with us. They want to work with us. You know, we we in inside ourselves. We want. You know, we want to get the best we can for ourselves, and I really, that was the hope, that people would start doing magic. Because when you do the magic, not just read about it, you know, whatever your life situation is, you can, it can get better. And, uh, and it can move in a direction where maybe not tomorrow, down the road, it's far better than it was yesterday. And that was the goal. Absolutely, and there's that forgotten lesson by so many is that in the witch's pyramid, if you will, the to be silent part, that part of waiting. <laughs> Some people don't want to wait. Some people don't want to 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 try things or try new things. My next question, and uh, this one was actually from a friend of mine who was curious about chaos magic, and he had said that he had noticed that some chaos magicians were not, now this is a pagan, I won't mention his name because he he didn't ask me to, so he says some chaos magicians um, don't shy away from money magic uh, as, as maybe some other pagans do, and I'm wondering if you could comment on that, like there are some that don't shy away from that or think there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's sometimes a money thing. In yeah, the- yeah. I will there's even share this. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with money magic. I'm getting a master's degree in business administration. Clearly, I love money and money loves me, right? Uh, but this notion of... Now, I don't want anyone to take offense to this. Um, so... Take this with a grain of salt for the listeners, really. The notion of poverty is one that's a modern notion. And it it honestly comes somewhat from the Christian undercurrents that got carried into the pagan society. Our ancestors, in whatever culture would define wealth, would try to obtain wealth. You know, not to the point that we see some people nowadays uh, and, and that's part of it, too. It's a reaction. You know, some people are trying to get wealth at the expense of everyone else, but there is a win-win situation that everyone can be relatively wealthy and get ahead. Uh, so it's not an either-or thing. And, and that's, a, that's a big conception. It's the hatred of money. If you live in our society and you hate money, you're at a serious disadvantage to express your own freedom. 
it's and it's true. You know, you could go to festivals, but even going to festivals, you're way better off than some people because you can afford to go to festivals, which some people can't. Uh, so, you know, the idea of poverty as a virtue uh, isn't really one that I subscribe to. But then again, again, I'm not saying that greed is good either. But, you know, I understand the, greaters, yeah, the greater levels of um, income like that noble, you have. What was that? Is it noble, for example, to not have your children go to a good school, right? Is that something Is noble? it noble? I would say no. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but that's... The reason I'm saying that is because I'm someone that used to sort of buy into the noble poor thing. Um and again, I'm not greedy or I'm not rich either. I'm 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 very lower middle class, but I'm building right now. I'm in a building year, <laughs> like when a football team is in a building year. And a lot of people, it's it's not just pagans that have this right. kind of wealth consciousness. You see this in artists too. Artists, mm-hmm. you know, but, know, Reiki but, masters. You know, Reiki I want to give it away. Yeah. We're charging for it. Exactly, but the thing is, is that the, that. Being happy and having wealth are not mutually exclusive. And in fact, while this is an idea in, uh, that permeates through pagan culture, from real occultists, not just chaos magic, I mean real occultists who either practice Western ceremonial magic, you know, even a lot of hoodoo practitioners, uh, you know, voodoo assaults, when you get a little outside of the very Wiccan-influenced pagan circles, this value is not there. Uh, this value of poverty is not there. Uh, and in fact, most of the people who practice the philosophies of magic in some way are often, while they might not be doing extraordinarily well, some are, they have a roof over their head, they're relatively happy, they can do things they want, and they keep progressing on that. Because you understand that ultimately the idea that money is evil is flawed. Money is just a different form of energy. It's just a different form of intention currency. So if you have enough uh, of that type of energy, you can open up certain freedoms for yourself and do things that you want. Now, you can do that in a bad way. You know, you well, can yeah. open Green up a factory that pollutes you, you can open up a factory that pollutes and, you know, belittles the workers, or you can use that in a good way uh, where you open up a bakery because you enjoy baking. In itself, it's like any tool. It's morally neutral. It is how we use it that determines its ethical basis. And exactly, and, of course, in the chat room, uh our friend Marcy was saying that uh, wealth is not always about money either. You know, wealth is a different thing than money in some ways. It's about a quality yeah. of experiences. Not just like, and I said back, oh, it's not like having the expensive vase that was worth $100,000. That's not exactly what most people want. I think what we're talking about with money magic is, and I just said that because our guest next week is actually uh, Taylor Elwood. I don't know if you know Taylor um, but uh, um, he, he will be 
the issue that some people think, that, like you said, that leftover Christian money is the root of all evil, which I don't think is actually in the in the Bible. It's a it's a slightly different quote. I don't think that. that's actually said in the Bible either. It said I think it said the love of money. So it's a love of it versus just the quality of life, which of course you know. You know, the first spells are about abundance, right? They're for the hunt, for the harvest, fertility. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, like, right. And, and wealth isn't necessarily money. And we could do a whole show on on, on that. Yeah. But you need enough money to pursue what would make you happy. And that brings you joy and fulfillment in life. Um, because if you're worried about feeding the kids it's going to be very hard to feel wealthy. Um, exactly. And it's going to be very hard to do art. It's going to be very hard to do self-actualization type of things. Um, it may not be the end goal, but it's going to be very difficult if those type of survival issues are getting in the way. And, 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 and it's clear this is a mo- modern idea. Our ancestors, I mean, we, we could go right. into most cultures. If one person got ahead, there wasn't quite the sloth and fodder that we have now. Uh, and there were certainly rules of generosity and between people, but it, it was considered a good thing. And that was in the pagan cultures. So if you had more cattle in the Norse, I mean, that's, you know, that's wealth, and people were happy. They had more cattle. We could go on for five hours on this topic. But <laughs> well, we can't. Yeah. Really hope because we're running out of time now, like for real time. Um, it is so awesome talking to you. I, I will admit, I don't always say this on the air. I feel like a real like. I mean, I just really enjoyed talking to you, um, and. I think I really want you to come back sometime, you know, when it's reasonable within a few months or whenever, or when you have something else to promote, because I think we can definitely have a lot to talk about and keep rolling. But we have about four minutes left, and anyway, I just want to do a quick plug for you here. Hands-on chaos magic, uh, reality manipulation through the Oveki Current, a book that was pushed forward from this gentleman, a chaos magician by uh, his name is Andreas Vitimus and the book was promoted and pushed from his shamanic journey by a spirit named Oveki and thank you very much for joining us Andreas well thank you you so much I look forward to coming back on absolutely and man I just my mind was going in 70 different directions every time you were making a point. <laughs> so I, I definitely think that um, you'd be a great uh, return guest. I wish you luck on your book. Uh, you see you're on Barnes & Noble and you're on Amazon. So everybody, there's a link right on this page to buy his book. So go ahead and you know help somebody out here. And I want to remind everyone, and right before I do remind everyone, I'm sure – if I do not do this, I will be penalized for it. Thank you, Associate Producer <laughs> Janice Harway, for being with yes, us. Yes, she will be penalized for it. Thank you. <laughs> 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 All 
thank you. And thanks, everybody, for listening to Main Street Universe, the show and the network reminding you that the mysteries and possibilities of the universe are closer to Main Street than you may have ever imagined. And I don't know about you, but I can imagine. And I can imagine a lot. Thank you, Andrea Vitimus, again, for being Thank you, Andrea. Fantastic. Thank you, guys. And have a great evening. Yeah, have a great evening. Forbidden archaeology, forgotten history, divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. <laughs>